I want to glow. And then start. <laughs> oh, good thing I have this DNA <laughs> that no one knows anything about. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Risk is our business. That'll be. What happened? Gothic was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. Oh, ah, oh. Ah, 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 ah. Rock and roll. Six. We're not afraid of diversity. We don't persecute, we embrace it. At least I won't die alone. Join our Federation of Planets. And reach for the stars. Those were the days. <laughs> Welcome back. To the Retrek review. Thanks for joining us as we cover another episode of Star Trek. My name is Will, and this is my co-host, Caleb. And we today, this week, are covering an episode of Strange New Worlds, episode three, to be specific, entitled Ghosts of Illyria. The episode first aired May 19th, 2022, and it was written by Kayla Cooper and Bill Walkoff, and it was directed by Leslie Hope. The synopsis for the episode is, the USS Enterprise encounters a contagion that ravages the ship. One by one, the entire crew is incapacitated except for number one, Una Chin Riley, who must now confront a secret she's been hiding as she races to find a cure. That's our synopsis. And now we do the thing that Caleb loves. We ask him, what does he think mm-hmm. of the episode overall? I do love it because I get to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a pretty good episode. Um, I feel like I say that every week when we get on here. I say, yeah, it was good. That was good. Yeah, But yeah. um. No, it's been um, the first season so far. Strange New Worlds has just been consistently like strong. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I like I kind of like the storyline. I kind of like getting you you get to learn more about some of the characters in this episode. That is interesting and um, kind of moves that stuff forward. But I think overall, it was just good. It was a good story. It had a lot of cool beats. Um, I love any time that people get beamed out of a planet and the captain and somebody else says to stay behind. They're kind of separated from the ship and it's the ship's kind of on its own. And then, the you know, second person in command has to deal with the situation. And you get to see a lot more of the doctor in this episode. Yeah. Which I like. I like Flock as a character. Like the, because he always got up into stuff where he had to like, save everybody all the time yeah, yeah yeah so getting to see the ship captain or the ship medic 
be a, a big part of this episode. It was it was nice for me. Yeah, and that's yeah. all I'll say for now. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I feel like it is a nice snapshot of an episode. <clears throat> it doesn't really touch on Pike's stuff yeah. anymore. Like that kind of didn't that wasn't talked about. And it's now true. it starts to peel back the layers of other characters. It feels like a Star Trek episode. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. It's kind of like the same episode when it's it's like a thing where, I mean, we it, the show hasn't been around as long as at, uh, as Enterprise was at this point, but it's like that episode when it's revealed that like Malcolm is a part of Section Thirty One and he's like a double oh. agent, or at least like he used to work for these guys. Yeah, that's right. So it's kind of like that. You also need to get this thing where it's like, oh, oh, about several characters. So yeah, yeah, I like that. I, I like that the ship is not like completely like unified. I like that mm. a lot of characters have their own kind of like personal stuff that they're dealing with or like hiding from yeah. the crew. Yeah, uh, I think that's very realistic. I think that's very like human. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think also not to like toot our own horn, but I think I'll also that's what makes like the RPG thing that we play fun. Like everybody yeah. has like their own little thing that isn't revealed yet, you know. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, I like I like that kind of stuff a lot. All right, so we'll open with the teaser before the rolling credits and um it says first officer's log start eight twelve twenty four point three. The Enterprise has arrived at Hematet Nine, the site of an abandoned Illyrian colony. Illyrians uh, are a humanoid species known for modifying their genes to enhance their capabilities and levels of function. However, because genetic modification is forbidden in the Federation, they have always been outcasts. Our presence here is part of a standing mission to discover what happened to them. Unfortunately, research time on the surface is limited, as the planet is regularly swept by ion storms, one of which is fast approaching. The USS Enterprise is in orbit around Hitemet 9, an abandoned colony of the Illyrians, a humanoid race considered outcast by the Federation due to their use of genetic engineering. On the surface, Captain Pike comments on how genetic modification still put people on edge, even Una, who is standing next to him. She replies simply that she doesn't like loose ends. As the storm approaches, both see the flimsy shelters as little protection, and Una suggests returning to the ship. Pike orders the landing party to collect their data and return to the rendezvous point for transport. He attempts to communicate with Spock, but the storm interferes interference blocks his signal. He tells Una to gather the rest of the team while he goes to find Spock. One of the landing crew, an ensign lands, is peering into a cabinet full of glassware used in scientific research. Noticing it seems to react to his flashlight. When Pike spots spots him and gestures for him to move out. So we get a lot of yeah. get to see that huge like space cloud over the the ion storm yeah, that's pretty cool. Over the, that was pretty cool. I, I always love like storms and stuff like in space. Um, it reminds me a lot of like No Man's Skies when oh, yeah. like an ion storm will come through or like a heat, like high heat storm will come through on these yeah. like planets. 
That's and that's kind of cool. And the ion stuff is cool because it, it messes with all of your electronics and your like ship stuff and yeah, stuff that they rely on pretty heavily. I think even like your own like bio electricity, yeah, like your own body stuff, yeah, yeah. It's not good. No, it's really not good for you. No. <laughs> but here, here's something that is cool to me that I kind of picked up on, okay. and I don't know if it's supposed to be what you're supposed to pick up on. Okay, but. I think it'd be really interesting for like Pike's character. Okay. So number one says, uh, before they, they go to BMO, she says, Oh, I'll, I'll go get Spock. And Pike says, no, I'll do it. Mm. And so how I read that is Pike in the back of his head knows like what his future is. Mm. He knows like, so basically, he it's almost like I like to think about it the way that uh, he says, you you guys beam out and get out of here because I don't know. Like, I don't know if you're in danger or not. Right. But I'm not in danger. So, like, if I go get Spock, I know I'm going to be fine. I know me and Spock are going to be fine because, like, this isn't where my time ends. Yeah, I mean. It's it's a really really good point. Uh, I, it might have been it might have been how they wrote him to do that. It could just be a captain thing too. Like captain's going to make sure everybody's ready to 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 be no, out. Yeah, no, you're probably right because the way that they have them act it and the way that they deliver that scene where she's like, "I'll go do it," and he's like, "No, I'll go do it." Type of thing. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, it might have been because he knew what was going to happen, and then. If if you know if something bad was to happen, it would only you'd only Spock would only die essentially, not right, not right, right. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of what I uh, what no, I took it, from that. That's scene. a good point. Yeah, I, and I kind of like that. I I think I think they could write him like that and have it be more subtle than every week, just being like, man, ten more years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of why I like this episode. Like you were saying, this is the first episode now that like it's not touched on that like his his death is coming up. Right, right. That can just be a part of his character, and you can you can write in a way where it's not every week he's talking about. Well, yeah, <laughs> nine more years and three months. It's yeah, like, right. You, you right. can you can show that. Yeah, just how he reacts to things and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's gonna go do the dangerous thing because like you know, this isn't this isn't his date. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it so, also I can't remember quite if they if they show this, but I think it might also it would you would think it would lend to him just not really being afraid of yeah. situations where it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna die here. So it's like who cares? Yeah. Like if this big scary monster or guy is trying to kill me, it's like, well, he's not going to. So it's <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. That's it's an interesting concept, right? Because I think yeah. even if even if that were the case, I think you still have to do something to like protect yourself. I don't think I don't think he could just kind of stand there. I think that would kind of change the shape <laughs> of history, right? I, so yeah. it is this interesting thing where he he thinks it's predestined. His destiny is predestined, but also like he has to be an active like participant, I guess, yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he can't just like not do anything and say, "Well, well I'll, I'll be fine." Right. <laughs> right. 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 So yeah, I don't know. Okay, so 
Una assembles her team at the rendezvous point and calls up for the transporter. Transporter Chief Kyle struggles to get a transporter lock due to storm interference. He calls to Commander Hammer in engineering asking for power. Hammer transfers auxiliary power, then calls the bridge to warn them he is tapping into the emergency backups. In the corridors of the ship, the lights flicker as the power is transferred, while the lights in engineering become brighter. Hemmer tells Kyle to try the transporter again. Kyle is stunned at the amount of power he has, to which Hemmer replies simply that he was a genius, before warning the chief to move quickly. This time, the transport is successful, but Una expresses the hope that Kyle was not out of miracles just yet. The captain and Spock were still on the surface. This is one of our first parts of the... There's a couple parts in this where this is kind of like a running theme where they say, oh, we can't do that. Well, just do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of been our... It's kind of been our thing. It really has, yeah. This so this one is more realistic, honestly. Like using yeah. backup power to like put right. all power to the transport. Right. Like that, I that is fine. That I get. Yeah. So I'm not being critical on that. It's no, 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 no. no. It, him replying that he's a genius is just funny. It's just his character. Yeah, it's, it's like, like he his... I mean, he just converted power to the <laughs> the thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. The. Uh interesting thing for you i think you'll like because you have watched the mandalorian and a couple other things in that new filming type so uh like engineering yeah it could be away mission stuff but i'm just gonna say at least engineering they also film with that giant Mm -hmm. moving screen that like mando uses that's cool yeah so that like awesome depth and like when they go to yeah. the engine room and it looks like it's incredibly long as we'll get into with like when Lalan shows up there. Yeah. And, stuff and it looks like it's huge. It's it's that giant. It's that thing I, that they use. I can't. Think I think that's going to become more of like industry standard yeah. in the next like few years. Oh, yeah. Because if you can if you can film on this this wrapped screen like that and put all this depth in the background and then put right. like physical props in the foreground, it just. It's like that mirrored effect. It's yeah. like that. And it just and works all, so well. Yeah. And all you hear is the actors love it because now they actually have something to look at and not just they can look, they can screen. see it. Yeah. They right. can see it. So they feel like they're part of the. Yeah. It lends to yeah. their sincerity and their like how much they, you know, like, well, okay, I'm in this. I'm, you know, if you're this guy, I'm in this makeup. Yeah. It's like, okay. Well, I mean, the actor who plays him is blind, so he's not seeing anything, but still. Oh, is he actually really blind? Yeah, the guy's actually blind, yeah. That's cool. I yeah, didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. He might not be like 100% blind, but he's, yeah. he's definitely vision impaired. Huh. I was thinking about that in that scene where he, he walks over to the com- the computer and he's he's typing, putting in codes and stuff on it. Yeah. Yeah, Hammer's cool. Yeah, he is cool. He's a cool character. I really like Tor- We'll We'll get there, but I really like when he's He's trying to transport the oh. <laughs> the core of the sun. On the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> more, more. <laughs> I need more juice. <laughs> Inside one of the colony's laboratories, Pike catches up to Spock, who reports that he has found a previously undiscovered cache of journals that may be of scientific relevance, adding that he looks forward to reading them. Pike urges him to hurry to the rendezvous point before the storm overtook them so he could read them. <laughs> they reach the rendezvous, and Pike calls up for transport. But again, Kyle is unable to get a lock, 
and this time extra power will not help. The storm is too strong. Una tells Pike to find shelter until the storm passes. Pike acknowledges and asks Spock for suggestions. Spock simply suggests they run. Yeah. Those, uh, like, li- the, the library was pretty cool. Like really yeah, like you're talking about the thing that he was, like, reading? Yeah. Well, the whole, really... so the whole, like, library is that room, and then they have all the things all light up, and then you pull these, like, uh, essentially, what what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, scrolls type. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he, like, turns the thing on the end, and you can kind of see through the the clear glass like that there's it's like written text written, in there yeah and he's like turning it so it's almost like it's this continual like roll of like paper or something that it right. just like turns as you read it and i'm like that's that's kind of a cool concept you know yeah 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 it really is yeah i liked it but you you knew they was... were going to get stuck in the library oh yeah yeah oh yeah I just gonna say I like it because it's like it, it's a for him as an actor it's it's like when you and I have filmed short things like having something to do with your hands yeah is really like it's great you know it really lends you can really like I don't know you can just sell your performance better when you have yeah. like something you're doing yeah you need a prop like yeah. a real world prop so even even the last episode where um, Ohora has her tablet. And her mm-hmm. like, her pen, her like stylus. It's oh, yeah. this is a natural thing, where like, like even this, like if you're, if she's like talking and thinking, and you, you're going to be doing something with your with your hands, right? right. And yep. it's more realistic because people don't just stand there with their hands at their side and talk. Yeah, like this straight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, they're anxious or they're they're thinking, and you know, she's tapping her pen on the thing and she's doing yep. notations. Like I like that. Yeah. It sells it, you know. It really does. Yeah. I really like Pike. I like his like quips, his like one-liners. Yeah. <laughs> like that whole thing, like, you know, Spock is like super interested in like the, the history, like the yeah, the manuscripts. And Pike's like, Yeah, well, that's that's great, but I if we don't move, you're not you're not gonna be able to read them like at all. So <laughs> like, yeah, I like that. I like yeah. how their two characters yeah react to each other. Una arrived on the bridge to inform the crew that Pike and Spock were still on the surface. Until they could be retrieved, the crew would continue to do their jobs. She asks Uhura if she can get a signal to the surface, but Uhura reports the, sto- the storm is a communications blackout. Una tells her to inform her immediately once she is able to communicate with the captain. To Lieutenant Wheeler at the science station, Una orders round-the-clock sensor sweeps and also wants Chief Kyle on standby with the transporter. Roaming through deck 14, Lieutenant Ortegas finds Ensign Lance removing his uniform and staring at a wall console. He thinks the ship is too dark and begins to rub his face up against one of the light panels in the corridor, saying he wants to feel the light on his skin, which slightly unnerves Ortegas, who tries to continue on her way. Then he runs his head through the glass of the panel, leading Ortegas to call for security. In her quarters, Una is experiencing a similar effect, tearing open her own uniform tunic and basking in the light. Her skin begins to take on a reddish glow before reason snaps back. She realizes something is wrong. She calls Dr. Mbenga in sickbay, asking about the status of the landing party. Mbenga reports that he has several members of the landing party in sickbay right now, and in fact was just about to call her. 
While she assures him she herself is fine, the, doc doc the doctor asks her to come to sickbay anyway, just to be sure. As she heads out, she looks at herself in the mirror, a worried expression on her face. This episode, it kind of reminds me of the episode of Enterprise where remember they're all going like they they hyper focus on mm. like one specific thing of like their character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Archer's focusing on his like thing at the, the end of his dad's book. Yeah. And Trip is focused on the chair, and Malcolm's focused on like security. Yeah. It's kind of it kind of reminded me of that episode. And that I think maybe that's why I liked it more. It's because like you get to see people on the ship kind of start to freak out. Yeah. And the more you see, it's like the worse it gets. So it becomes yeah. this thing with like, okay, you gotta like take care of it. Um, but yeah, so like I didn't know where they were gonna go with her character. Yeah. Number one's character, because like they show her being sick and then she shows up in the med bay and she's like, fine. And you're like, Okay, something, something's going on. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when she first takes control of the, the command, mm -hmm. I really like that scene. She she comes into the bridge and she kind of like puts her hand on the chair and kind of like mm. takes a second. And then she kind of catches everybody up to speed where Pike is and continue your your job. And she she does very well of like taking control yeah. of the situation. Um and that I like. I feel like I feel like on the Enterprise, who usually to politics control. Typically, yeah. She, yeah. And she's okay, but sometimes she she becomes more like emotional, or sometimes she's more like yeah. not emotional about things. Yeah, I think because I think in this scenario, if you were to make it uh it, you know exactly like a beat for beat i think it would be archer and to paul would have been stuck on the planet mm. and trip would have come back up and trip would have taken over the bridge yeah even though yeah. he's like the engineering guy and he's not well, he's like yeah and to paul is second in command it's like to paul is also the science officer so it's a hard yeah. it's a hard mix it's hard to know well, I think a lot of times what happens is like to Paul, uh, she sees it from a from like a scientific standpoint where like when she takes control, it's not she doesn't think specifically like what's best for the crew or the people stuck on the planet. It's very like she's Vulcan. So it's very right. this is what we should do. Yeah. What's the but logic? I liked. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So Trip, I think Trip's like what third in command. So he, he takes control of the, the, I think, the bridge a few times. Yeah, I think for the show purposes and for like um, the way Archer commands it, I think he is third in command. But I think yeah. on like Starfleet records, he's second in command. Interesting, because she's like a person from the Vulcan Science Academy. She's not really a Starfleet officer, so it's not like oh, she right. actually has chain of command. But well, Archer, Archer always is the one that like specifically says like right. to Paul, you have the bridge when you right leaves. exactly yeah. So he he makes her second in command. Gotcha. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because we trust her. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just funny too. Like she knows that she's sick, and she oh, tells yeah. the doctor, and he's like, "Oh yeah, actually, there's like a bunch of people down here. <laughs> They're yeah. all like horribly sick." He's like, why are you calling? Are you sick? She's like, no. 
No, no. just a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, he's like, all right, well, all right. okay. Well, you should probably come down here anyway, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Okay, as Nurse Chapel attends to some of the others, Mbega tells Una that uh, what he has seen, half of the landing party have burned or shocked themselves on sources of illumination, and yet the light was the only thing calming them. Something is attracting them to light, and they will go through any means to get to it. When Mbenga asks if she has experienced similar symptoms, Una falsely tells him she hasn't, before asking if there was any sign of contagion. Though the biofilters in the transporter would detect anything abnormal, the doctor ran viral and bacterial scans anyway and found nothing. The only thing he detected was a severe drop in their levels of cocalciferol or something like that, mm. uh, or vitamin D. Were it not for that and for their apparent behavior, no one would have guessed they were sick. He shows Una's vitamin D levels to be normal but suggests taking a blood sample just in case. She is hesitant for some reason, but agrees nonetheless. And Benga expresses the hope that the captain and Spock, still on the surface, have not been exposed to whatever is causing the problem, thinking that the landing party came into contact with something on the surface that the biofilters missed. So it kind of made me wonder, I, this scene made me think about um, scurvy. Yeah. Uh, it's like when they get stuff and then, it, so I was like, I don't know. I don't. I. I don't. And I'm not a scientist, so it's like I don't really know. But I was like, if you have like crazy a crazy drop in vitamin D, do you? Yeah. Are you like? Do you actually get crazy and like want light? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's you know we have things like uh, cabin fever, right? Right. Where I think, but that's more like being cooped up. Yeah. But I think it has something to do with light too. I mean, it, it usually affects people like in you know places like Alaska where there's it's dark and you're stuck inside yeah. from the snow. I think I think doesn't doesn't the original like when you say cabin fever? I think again it means boats. You've been like in the bow of the boat mm, like, for way cab, too yeah. long and it's just dark. There's no windows down there, and you're just yeah. way, way down there. Yeah, and what so. They called those Scurvy. things like cabins. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, that's definitely where it came from. Scurvy is like a deficiency too, right? It's it's, it's, it's a deficiency and um, they need fruit. You need yeah. Uh, they, they they're not having citrus. They need citrus things, and I forget is it is it vitamin C? I think they're I think it's C. low on vitamin C. Yeah. So yeah. So that's why they used to stock them with like limes and oranges and stuff on the shelf. Oh, yeah. A little yeah. too citrusy. Oh yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happens. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's just how this fake disease is just, you know, playing out in this episode. But I was just wondering, yeah. was like, is that That's actually true? Like, if, if you have, like, a severe, like, you're bottoming out kind of vitamin D. Yeah. Like, not like, oh, you're low, like, everyone here in upstate New York. Like, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> like, we get winter depression up here where right. you don't see the sun for a week and you get uh, you get real depressed. Yeah. But this was like they basically turned into like lizards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like touch the light bulbs and yeah. I like that. I like when that guy puts his head through the glass. That's pretty good. Yeah. I like how she too, I always forget her name, but she she's walking by and talking to him. She's like, 
Yeah, well, that's weird, but you know, just another day on the Enterprise, really. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lieutenant Ortegas. Yeah, yeah. And then once he like puts his face through the thing, then she's like, "Oh, okay, so this is this is something bad." <laughs> <laughs> so in engineering, Una brings this possibility up to Hemmer, who dismisses it as nonsense. The biofilters would have removed any contamination during transport, unless Una suggests it was something they wouldn't be programmed to filter out. Hammer assures her it was impossible, as the transporter would filter out anything it didn't recognize. Then she wonders if storm interference could have caused it, short of turning the landing party into the bioorganic stew. Hemmer again denies it. Yeah. Una then suggests that the emergency power could have affected the biofilters, but again, Hemmer shoots that down. However, sensing her, ex- um, however, sensing her exasperation, he reluctantly agrees to conduct a level five diagnostic scan on the ship's power systems, which he grumpily adds would probably take all night. Yeah, <laughs> that's like uh, that's like something Trip would do. Yeah, be like no, like he would reason like it's impossible and that it couldn't it couldn't happen, and then he'll say, well, you know, if it makes you feel better, I'll I'll yeah yeah I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll do a level five diagnostic, on it. and then it always comes back. What happens? What happens? Is it always comes back like, well, looks like this got through this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's always like, oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't think about the uh, accelerated warp fields. Yeah. 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 Uh, One of the coil alignments filter filtration was uh, just a little bit off. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Good thing we ran a level five diagnostic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Level four wouldn't have caught that. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I like him. I like him as the engineer. Yeah, he's good. He's good stuff. It kind of reminds me of John. Reminds me of John's engineer chief. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Chief engineer. Yeah. yeah. He's not always talking about cheeseburgers, though. If he was, yeah, I was going to say, if he's a little more foolish and talked about cheeseburgers more, he would be pretty spot on. Back on the bridge, Una is able to briefly speak to Pike. He and Spock are all right, but are trapped in the colony's library due to the storm. Una begins to explain about what Mbenga has discovered, but before they can go much further, the storm interference blocks the signal again. Going into the conference room, she calls up the computer's records on Illyrian genetic modifications, specifically pertaining to disease control. She then specifies any record pertaining to the original Illyrian settlement in the Volteria Nebula. The computer reports the records are limited. Behind her, Laan enters, having been summoned. Una informs her about the potential contamination brought up from the surface and tells her to have security on the lookout for strange behavior. Lan sees the computer screen's information about the Illyrians, wondering if they were somehow involved. Una is unsure, saying she is just doing research. Lan thinks the Illyrians' history is one of the reasons why the Federation is wary of genetically modified species. Una thinks that if the Illyrians were behind the problem, they could also provide the solution. But Illyrian medical technology was banned by Federation regulations, mainly because of the eugenics wars. Una knows Lan is all too familiar with that time period. The chief of security is, is a descendant of Khan Nunian Singh. Lan admits 
that one could not have had a bioengineered mass murderer for an ancestor without growing a thick skin. She studied Khan extensively as a child and thought the worst of it would be being bullied by the other children. Lon suddenly expresses similar symptoms to the landing party, saying the room was too dark. Una immediately calls Mbenga. So her grandfather. Yeah, it would be, oh man, it would be like five type of levels. Her like a great, 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 great grandfather. Because she says grandfather. She specifically says like. Yeah, he was born. He would have been born sometime in like the 1960s. So this is um, the original guy. Yes. That created the eugenics war. Yes, he's he's one of the main. Yes. So the guy from Enterprise, then the eugenics stuff that Enterprise deals with, he's he was just what a, just a, a scientist that that wanted oh. to further study that. That's yes. So that is like, so the eugenics wars happen, which they happen like in the 90s, 1990s. They happen, and then he finds, uh, what's his name there? I think his name's like Eric Soon. He finds the embryos of more augments. Okay. And then raises them as his own children. Because he thinks that he can like basically use these, these children and these people to like help facilitate disease and like bring peace to the galaxy and all right right but as he learns they have like this weird inherent like aggressive part to them like they can't just be peaceful and quiet yeah except for that one guy who the enterprise takes along but like they they find he has like a genetic flaw that's why he's not like well he was trying to that's what he was trying to do at towards the end anyway, was trying to, to filter out like the aggression. Yeah. And rate, yeah. Yeah. Well, they didn't like they didn't like that too much. So those no. kids. So here's the other thing I'll tell you. I've been saving it because now she goes into this room to look at stuff. Yeah. So Illyrians. Mm-hmm. Do you remember it's probably an episode that you would have hard forgetting? You remember the episode that Archer wants like the warp coil thing, and he goes and he and, the, and he talks to these people, and then they're like, "No, I'm sorry, we can't give it to you. We're trying to get home." And he's like, mm, "And then he boards the ship and takes it anyways." Oh yeah, and he puts all the food and he gives them stuff, and then the guy's like, "It's literally going to take us three years to get home. You've yeah. stranded us. You've killed us essentially." And Archer's like, "Yeah, I know, but." I have bet I have to deal with the expanse, right? Those are Illyrians. Wow. A different so, colony. Yeah, different colony. And you almost I mean again, we don't get a lot of information about the Enterprise pe- those people, but you could speculate that they have like the weird ridges and stuff because of that's how they deal with the expanse. It's like they could have been genetically modified oh. to look like that for any for any reason. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, kind of cool. Like again, a, a cool. direct, a direct Enterprise thing. Like they're not in any other series; they're only in Enterprise. So, so that's cool. I kind of like that. I like, I like where there's a little bit of like grayness from like the original series, yeah. and they can kind of they can kind of make like this number one character like um, 
like give her a better backstory and yeah, like give her really anything, rework yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have her be just more than just a human person. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Lon is sedated in sickbay, suffering from the same vitamin D deficiency as the landing party. Lon had not been on the landing party, but Chample checked the contact tracing and found she had shared a turbolift with Lance. The contagion seems to be spreading, but Mvenga is unable to determine how. He recommends locking down the ship to keep it from spreading. Una opens a shipwide channel and initiates the lockdown. All non-essential personnel were confined to quarters, and all on-duty personnel were to remain in their work areas until further notice. It was funny when the scene happened, and he's like, oh, it's contagious. Because of now yeah. the world we live in, I immediately was like, oh, yeah, like COVID. And it's just like, yeah. it's interesting now when things happen. Like the way people, they write, how they write things, the things that they talk about. It's like now the world has like a different viewpoint on like disease and stuff like that. It's an interesting that is for I didn't even think about that. It's like the same time period. Yeah. Like while writing the show. Yeah, they might. I don't know when they filmed it. This came out in the middle of summer. So I would assume they filmed end of 21, beginning of 22. So like, yeah, you know, COVID was was the thing. Yeah, it was the hot topic. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. On the surface, the storm rages and Pike and Spock remain trapped in the library. The captain paces restlessly, to which Spock quotes a human metaphor about how a watch kettle never boils. Pike corrects it to pot, yet expresses the belief that they would still get hit with the scalding water. uh, There were sick people on his ship, and he was stuck on the surface. Spock admonishes him that anxious pacing would not help the situation. Pike stops, looking out at the storm. He sarcastically calls it fun, and suggests selling tickets. Spock has been reading the journals he found and learned that the Illyrians on Hitemet wanted to join the Federation, reversing their genetic modifications or de-engineering themselves, as Spock puts it. Pike asks if there was any record of what happened to the colony. Spock is only halfway through the records, so Pike tells him to skip to the end before the storm destroys the building they were in. Just then, both look out a Upon hearing a shrieking sound and see figures of light moving through the air, Pike asks if Spock saw what he did, and Spock confirms he had, but as to what he saw, he was not sure. Yeah. yeah. It's the ghosts. Yeah. It's the ghost of Illyria. <laughs> <laughs> I like his little Spock is just trying to read and he's like <laughs> walking around the room. Yeah. Yeah, it's human emotion. Yeah, human emotion. I really like too that he gets that that phrase wrong, but it's but it's funny. It's funny because like it's a um, a watched pot never boils. Yeah, but um, the kettle is so much funnier too because because like Vulcans drink tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like obviously <laughs> he he took that he took the human phrase and made it like fitting for Vulcan. Yeah, which well, I probably, think is funny. I like that. Yeah, which which. I mean, really, what made it, if you want to get super nerdy weeds, about it, yeah. what, what might have happened is when you say the English word pot, yeah, it translates that into Vulcan, pot equals kettle. Yeah. Because they don't use pots, they use kettles, like type of thing. You know what I mean? In, in, in their terminology. 
So yeah. for him to be like, well, yeah, the only thing that would bo- like would have water that's boiling is a kettle. <laughs> like, why, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. So we're at the second half. So what I'm going to ask is that anybody who's got this far into the podcast to go down to the comment section, if you're on YouTube watching, and write the secret word kettle. We'll know that you got this far. Thanks. <laughs> What's that? Kettle. Kettle. I put it's on like, the kettle. It's like cattle, but it's kettle. Kettle and kettle. Uhura <laughs> <laughs> is awakened in her sleep cubicle by light radiating <laughs> from the closed door. Uhura <laughs> has awakened. Awakened. And she's like, what are y'all doing in my bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> What's happening in here? But it was, it, honestly, it, it was cool that, like, their, even, like, their workstations have, like, a, um, like, a sleeping area. Oh, yeah. For, like, shifts and stuff. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked a little impractical to, like, climb in there the way that later when Una gets in there, but. Yeah. But yeah, the door, the door shutting is pretty sweet. Like being the door shutting the door. is very cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So as she opens it, she finds two members of the crew standing around a simulation of a sun and tells the computer to end the simulation. The two crewmen demand to know what she has done <laughs> as they needed light. The contagion is spreading. Nearing 50 members of the crew are, were now in sickbay, forcing Mbenga to open the auxiliary bay to handle the overflow. Chapel reports contact tracing was all over the place. Some were getting it from being down the hall from an infected person. Meanwhile, Uhura appeared to be fine, despite her contact with the two infected crewmen. Just then, Hemmer enters, and Una asks if he found anything. The NR engineer sarcastically replies that of course he had, because he wandered the ship in the middle of the night running diagnostics for fun. He returns to business, telling Mbenga that he needed to run a check on the emergency medical transporter for excess power usage. Mbenga protests that he was running an experiment while Hemmer runs his checks. As he does, the light in sickbay suddenly dim. Hemmer, noting the system's check, could not have affected the lights. Mbenga tells him to stop messing with the system, as he was making things worse. Point taken, Hemmer replies caustically as he leaves. After he does, Mbenga reactivates the life. Life. After he does, Mbenga reactivates the lights. Huh. No, you were much right. To the relief of the distressed crew. What's that? Did you were right. You reactivated the life. <laughs> true, true. So I was I was thinking about it when I watched this episode. I thought about you when the when she gets out of the 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 her bed like her bed area. What do they call it? Yeah. Here? They called it her sleep cubicle. Sleep quarters. Yeah. She got out and they were like, the sun. Hey, why did you shut the lights? <laughs> yeah. I thought of you because I was like, ah, maybe the fire, the fireplace was a simulation, right? Yeah. It was this this thing was clearly giving off heat to the point where they were getting burned by it. So that's true. So I'm I was telling thinking, you, the fireplace is a simulation. I mean, it, yeah. it's the only practical. Yeah. It's the only thing that makes sense. Hey, why did you turn but, the lights? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> we hate it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So, but also, so what I appreciate too is because, like, I always tell you, like, it's so funny, like, in Enterprise and like the originals, like, they have to like use the actual like wall 
mm. comms. Yeah. And like in that situation specifically is like what I was talking about last week. It's so much better now where they can, she can just literally oh. say like, uh, computer call sick bay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, she has to like walk past those two guys and like push the button on the wall. Right. And be like, uh, this is, uh, I need sick bay immediately. <laughs> and then fight, fight off two guys with one, with their other arm. Yeah. Like while she's how many times, hands. how many times does something bad happen in enterprise where, where they're like, oh, okay. And they try to be like sneaky about it and they walk over to the comms and they're like, I need security immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's why they never knew what was going on on the ship because nobody was running to wall comps and telling them. <laughs> that's why they got boarded and the, all of engineering and all the Richards died all the time, constantly. Yeah, the, somehow the crew is getting massively infected. Uh, Una isn't infected, and and Benga and Hemmer have this really weird interaction in his like thing. Yeah, Only yeah, that was kind thing- of. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. That was kind of like a, a weird um, uh, interaction between those two. Yeah, but I I chalk it up to like you could tell like they both were starting to become like infected a little bit. Mm, okay. Yeah, probably. The only thing I was what I was gonna say was the only thing is I feel like this episode didn't need both characters to have a weird secret yeah it's fine for the doctor to have a secret i just think that they needed to focus just on una stuff and that's true also because to be fair and it's it's fine i felt like how the episode ends is a little like too much because usually Mm -hmm. you're like "Ooh, they're down on the planet una's weird she comes up she's still weird she has she glows she's clearly hiding something and then we proceed down the path and then all now the doctor's hiding something then fast forward was we go into it and then the, it ends and yeah. she just she says stuff in her log and you're like oh end of the episode and they're like no not the end of the episode now we're gonna go to sick bay and it's just yeah. like okay i just feel like it needed to be two separate episodes or two like let her stuff play out and then another episode let his stuff play out yeah they kind of did a rise, a rise of Skywalker too, where uh, she says like all this like heartfelt stuff about like, you know, like when will it be enough? Mm. And like she can basically be a part of Starfleet, and Pike, Pike likes her on board and doesn't care about any of that stuff. And then she says, "Okay, now you can delete that, like delete it. Like I don't want that on record." Ben, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I thought we learned. I thought we kind of were learning from that, you know. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, I get your point. I get your point. Like it was kind of like a little bit too much on top of everything else. Yeah, I think it. Sadly, it overshadows both of them. It's like yeah. when you're like, "Oh, what's this about Una?" Okay, okay, this is interesting. Like, oh wow, what a problem! What an interesting decision to make. Like as a writing thing, but also as a character, like now on the show, you're like, you're interested to see how she is. She actually different. And is she is she something that they the Federation should be afraid of? And just as you're trying to, like, ascertain, like, how good or bad she is, it's like, well, now we're going to throw the doctor stuff at you. Yeah. And now you can't fully you're not fully invested into his story because her stuff is already happened. It's just like. 
I don't know. I just feel like they should have been separate. Which which makes that it makes them have to rush like her exactly. uh, interaction with Lon too. Yeah. yeah. It's like just that scene where they're eating and she's like she's like, "Hey, so uh were you, did you really say that stuff or was that your?" And she's like, "Yes and yes. Like I'm not like super happy that you lied." Yeah. And they're just kind of like, "Oh, okay." And they kind of resolve it pretty quickly. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be a thing going forward where there'll yeah. always be a little bit of tension between the two. I don't really get why Lon is so so worked up about eugenics when it was like her family like way 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 in the past. I mean she acts like she acts like she's a gorn. I mean the, the way yeah, that yeah, she yeah, yeah. and it's like okay, like who cares? Yeah. That was forever ago, you know. I think I think like, it's because as she brings out she was bullied in school for it. I think that's the only reason. <laughs> yeah and your whole family was eaten by giant lizard monsters maybe let's let's move towards that a little bit she's got trauma not to mention not to mention like number one saved her life so Mm -hmm. like it wouldn't you would think like it wouldn't matter true you would see through that something that happened back in you know the 90s with your great 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 grandfather (laughs) yeah oh yeah yeah, something that happened um, like, I think, 160 uh-huh. years ago. Something like that. Yeah. The, the Going back to the whole, like, them kind of cramming their two secrets into this episode. Yeah. The, uh, as I was watching it, I remember, like, the beats. I know I know what ends up happening with the Doctor stuff, and I end up know what's happening with the Una stuff. So I'm like, okay. But I can't remember episode to episode like what so when this happens and she she glows in the beginning part i was like oh wow yeah. episode three they reveal that she's this thing like i forgot oh. it was in this episode that all of this happens and i was like oh man and then there was like and the doctor and i was like really like we're only three <laughs> episodes in and they're immediately re- i was just like wow okay well they're trying to get the they're trying to get the audience like hooked you know like yeah, hey, yeah there's yeah. a lot of weird stuff going on in the ship you should come yeah back it's like they week. want yeah they want everyone on the ship to be like have weird back stuff yeah so when so when number one first glowed in her like in her room i was like mm-hmm. okay so this is weird so i was thinking maybe something right how many times on like enterprise is like something from the planet like inhabit the exactly. actual people and they bring it back so so i was like i'm thinking like she's got like an alien or a parasite or something in, in her right right um and i was like okay and then they don't really show it again and then when they fight in the engine yeah. room lawn glows on the floor too and i'm like what why i was like so confused yeah yeah, yeah, why yeah. they both were glowing yeah and they just kind of do that like throwaway line where she's yes. like oh yeah the radiation passed like my genetics onto her and like i healed her with my so that was like oh, okay so that's just her when she glows, it's like her immune system fighting off yeah. stuff. I'm like, okay. I don't get how that passes through radiation to like person to person. Yeah. But I'd have to look up into the, the way that they explain it, but yeah. Okay. On the surface, Pike notes the source of the sound seemed to be gone. Spock's reading of the journals indicates that the colonists thought there were creatures living in the ion storms, a possibility which appears to have been confirmed. Just then, one of the creatures attempts to enter the open door, but Pike and Spock force it shut. Spock sustains a light slash to his neck, 
which was close to hitting where the carotid artery would be on a human. The creature begins to pound on the door, leading Pike to ask how long the door would hold. Spock suggests weighing probability in their favor. He appears to have an idea. I like that. I like how um, Pike was like, oh, man, that was really close to your yeah, your carotid. And he's like, mm, yeah, on a human. <laughs> oh, yeah. where where is it for you? <laughs> yeah, like his... Uh... I forget. I think it's like down where our liver is on humans is like where his heart is. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he also has That's green funny. blood. Yeah. I re- I remember they having green blood, but yeah, it was nice to see in this. Yeah. Because back in the '60s, they were like, "Hey, so what would be what would show that they're alien?" They're like, "Green <laughs> blood, baby. That's <laughs> that's it." Their blood consists of copper, not iron. That's right. That's right. In the quarters, Uhura shared with the two infected crew, Una asks the cadet to take her through through why she was not infected when the others were. Una explains that she prefers to sleep in pitch black conditions, comparing it to the princess and the pea. As she demonstrates for herself, Una comes to a realization and returns to sickbay. She explains to Mbenga and Chapel and Uhura was exposed to the same contagion, but she had been in the dark. Electromagnetic scans of the ship showed that the contagion seemed to travel through light waves, something Mbenga considers both insidious and remarkable. The infection they were dealing with affected the pleasure centers of the brain when close to light, but light was literally everywhere. Una suggests shutting down the lights all over the ship. The chapel points out that sickbay was full of light addicts. Una wonders if it would be too intrusive to, to sedate them all. But given the alternatives, and Benga is forced to concede, it was the best option. Light addicts. Yeah. With that, all the lights aboard the Enterprise go dark. So, just that scene where she's, Una, it like, goes, and it's like, Rebecca Romaine is like a very tall woman, so it's like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But like when she goes in there and she's like crunches up her knees to her face and then slides in, I was like, and then Mm -hmm. that little like, I don't know if you remember, it was like that lip was here. Yeah. Like where she would. And I was just thinking like, it's cool looking. It's aesthetically cool looking, but it would be so you'd be every time you get a guy to bed, you'd be like, okay, I got to like bring my feet all the way up to my like my chest and then swing (laughs) my body out and then go out and you'd be like. I would hate this. I would hate crawling well, into this thing. As a six foot nine person, True. I, I it's, everything is like that. Sure. Yeah. Well, in the conference room, <laughs> Una has their computer narrow the search parameters to Illyrian genetic modifications. The computer warns they were classified, but Una overrides, then narrows the parameters further to modifications relating to disease control, which again are classified and which again she overrides. She sees a child patient in the records showing the same red glow to her skin that Una had experienced alone in her quarters. Just then, the computer alerts her to a blackout override to the transport room with the added danger of a critical circuit overload. Una calls down to the transport room but receives no response, so goes down there herself. Hemmer is at the controls, having transported a piece of the planet's mantle. He, too, is experiencing the same symptoms, 
saying he wants to feel the radiance on his skin. Una sees a phaser on the console and warns that the temperature was more than a thousand degrees. Temper gleefully replies it was closer to 10,000 and has almost stabilized the signal. As he approaches it, Una grabs the phaser and stuns him before reversing the beam. She carries him over her shoulder to sickbay. It's none of your business how hot it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also like, um, yeah, we'll talk about it later, but I like that it shows how each person thinks. They're just like, okay, well, I want to get hot, so I'll b- smash my face in this glass. And then yeah. the next per- next people, they're like, oh, I want to get hot. They're like, well, I'll just we'll make a simulation of the sun, sun, and we'll just stand around it and burn ourselves. Yeah, it's and basically it's, like, it's basically based on your like field. Yeah, and then it cuts the hammer, and he's literally transporting a piece of the planet's mantle. And he's like, yes, yes, and he's like, I'm so close. Yeah, of course the engineer is going to go like the extreme extreme route and figure yeah, out how to transport a piece of this. Pretty sure I could localize and. I think I could bring part of the core up here if I really. <laughs> so here's a couple things now that we've now that we've mentioned. Well, okay. If if they can't use the transporter to get Pike and Spock, yeah. How was he using the transporter to get part of the planet? The different location of the planet where the signal's not. That's what I assumed when I first saw this too, because I did the same head scratch too. Because I didn't even like, I didn't even think about it till like you just were talking about it. I did the same head scratch when Adrian and I were watching it last year. I was like, "Mm, I don't. And then I was like, well, the storm isn't overtaking all of the planet. It's just only where Pike and Spock are. So you're trying to get the signal from, yeah. Okay. I I can let that slide, I guess. Yeah. It's a, you let it, you kind of just let it go. And then the other thing that irritates me is this is in like a lot of stuff because it has to her and lawn have to have that conversation like later on in the engine room. Oh yeah. Um, but so here's the thing. She, she has to stop hammer with a phaser on stun. Yeah. In this situation. And then moving forward, she doesn't carry a phaser. No. No, it would and she's happen. like the only one single-handedly like immune. She's like to Paul. She's immune to like right. what's going on and like doesn't carry a phaser. Yeah. She doesn't think like, oh, I might have to do this again. Right. I might have to sedate somebody. It was like, that'll be fine. And then she literally has to like fight Lon in like the engine room. She's got to like keep her away from the council. It's like, if you just brought the phaser and just shot her. Yeah. You could still have this conversation. When you're telling her to like step away from the council, right? And you can still have that interaction without right, like right. coming to blows. And she'd like obviously isn't going to stop. So you just like have to like shoot her and put her out. Right. And then I think you'd, I think you'd even be yeah. satisfied if she brought the phaser to engineering, had that conversation, went to go do it, and Lon like knocked it out of her hand. And then they had the fight. Right. Yeah, like, at least like, at least you're not going to walk around unarmed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of that stuff kind of oh yeah me. yeah like, well, why would you, you don't not... want to shoot your friends you don't want to shoot your friends even to kind of like the um the scene with with pike and spock where where the the thing finally comes in the room mm-hmm. and he just stands there and then as it gets closer he goes 
and it like knocks out of his hand. (laughs) (laughs) Even that to me is like, oh my god. But like, it has to move the story forward. I get, but at least he was going to use his gun. You know? Yeah, yeah. On the planet below, Pike has barricaded the door and drawn his own phaser, while Spock continues to examine the record cylinder. Pike asks if it too had a stun setting, to which Spock replies he was arming them with knowledge. The captain (laughs) wonders if the Illyrians knew how to stop the creatures, but even if they did not, Spock thinks they could learn from the colonists' misfortune. The creatures did not kill the Illyrians. In fact, they began to appear just as the colonists were dying out due to a mysterious disease. Pike begins to feel his ears pop. The atmospheric pressure was increasing due to the storm. Just then, the creatures break through the door, disarming Pike. (laughs) At the same time, the window shatters, forcing Pike and Spock to fall flat on the floor. The creatures seem to shield them from the storm's effects, which gradually dissipate. Pike notes that once again, the creatures were gone. Spock concurs and adds that that thanks to the creatures, they were not. The thing I liked when I originally saw it was I really enjoyed the fact that like these things came in and then just like took like help them. It's kind of like a thing that you don't oh like Star Trek does and doesn't do because like. Mm-hmm. This could go either way. Like it could be this an episode where these things are trying to murder them. Yeah, and that's all it is. Like they're they're not they're not benevolent things. They're they're monsters, you know. So it's like I like that in the Star Trek episode. You don't honestly know really what what is going to actually happen to these guys. I don't know if it's a Star Trek like trope specifically, but like. So at this point of the episode, I already was like, okay, so these are, I these see. are probably like the Valyrians. Like these are probably the people that were on the planet. Yeah. Like this is what happened to them. I don't know if that's a Star Trek trope, like where they do that a lot, but I feel like I remember that a lot where like some weird thing is on the planet, but it was like, oh, these were the people that were here a long mm. time ago. Oh yeah. it It is definitely a Star Trek thing that they do a lot of the time where it's like, oh, this thing is eating people. And it's like it's some terrible monster that's just eating and eating and eating and consuming people. And then they're then they scan and they're like, oh no, it's that lost, it's that lost officer that we haven't seen in 25 years. It's like yeah. well, he he is eating people, but it's not really what we think is eating. It's like when he reaches out to touch somebody, it's like they, you know, whatever, they like they like melt or something, and then it looks like yeah. he's eating them, and it's like no, he's just trying to be rescued. He wants to be rescued and he's deformed and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, yep. it's a very Star Trek thing that the bad thing is is usually a good thing, meaning no I th- harm. I think about the episode where they're on that planet with the hunters. Oh, yes, yes. And it's, they're very much like, oh, yeah, these things are like horrible. You know, yeah. like we hunt them. And then it was just like a a slug that inhabited the planet. They just didn't want people on the planet and would yeah. use like take form of things to like get you to leave. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Una uh, enters sickbay with Hever over her shoulder and tells Mbenga and Chapel to sedate him before he, he recovers from the stun. Mbenga reports that he will have to be next as his vitamin levels were also dropping. And now only he and Chapel were left. Una asks about the blood sample Mbenga took earlier. 
before finally admitting that she was immune to the illness because she herself was Illyrian. Both Mbenga and Chapel are adamant that even with that knowledge, they could not use her blood to help. Going into his office while Chapel attends to awakening patients, Mbenga explains that there were no novel antibodies in Una's blood, consistent with Illyrian biology. Her system did not attack the infection, but literally burnt it out, which meant that he had nothing to work with anyway. If he had been present at the moment of her infection, he could have. But now he saw no other option. Una tells him he was a Starfleet doctor and could figure out a way. Mbenga sees she places a lot of faith in Starfleet, and Una admits they were right about a lot of things, but not all of them. Mbenga understands that prejudice has kept people from helping each other for centuries, with no scientific justification. And even after meeting their neighbors in the stars, they found new bigotries, first about mixing human and Vulcan blood, and now human and Illyrian. To Mbenga, that did not matter, as he was a physician. He would beg her to help if he could. Regulations be darned. But he knows that she can't. He pleads with her to sedate him before he lost control, and reluctantly she does. As the doctor goes unconscious, the computer warns that the containment field generator on the warp core has been deactivated, potentially leading to a warp core breach. Una rushes out to find Chapel unconscious on the floor, and Lalan gone. Mm. I really like this interaction specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I really like like heartbring back to like Vulcan and human was like, you know, frowned upon. And now right. even moving forward, like now it's like there's still another. It's just another thing. Something else. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool because like she she wants to help and she's trying to from her point of view, she's trying to convince them to like use her blood to help. Right. Thinking that like they won't because it's against like Federation rules. But yeah, like yeah. I, I but overall, like being a medical officer is there, they could care less about Starfleet rules. Like if it's gonna save people, we're gonna do it. Like scientifically right. and medically. Right. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, he's he's not super staunch. And the, yeah. the interesting thing is too, is there are characters like throughout Star Trek history that are very by the book and it's like yeah you i wonder sometimes, you sometimes are led to be like i hate this individual or this individual is really awful but then when you think about it it's like well they're just they're just as passionate as the other guy is it's just they just stick closer to you know whatever to whatever, yeah. whatever regulation or whatever so it's an, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that they are able to do a lot of times in Star Trek is just like you get to see how uh, basically how heroic or how good natured this person is simply by them just ignoring Starfleet regulations because well it's going to murder people or whatever yeah I like that um, I was just thinking I wonder if it's one of those things too like I wonder if like Flock would do it if Flock would have a problem with it Yeah, probably not He's not super like into like Starfleet rules. Yeah. He has more of like a code. Yeah. Um, I, I think, think, I think he would do it because he, I think he would just be like, well, so what? Like, yeah, it's science. This comes down to science. And right. He would, he would 
have no problem with it because even he i think even he talks about like the eugenics war and says like a lot of species do eugenics and they have had no problems it's just the humans that have made them and almost destroyed the planet basically he's like scientifically it's it works fine it's just the humans don't know how to do it right what was the episode though where he there was something that archer like made him do and like commanded him as the captain to like to do it and he had like a really hard time doing it was it the trip one where they made that clone a trip there is that one he didn't uh flocks didn't super love that but there was one where he like very much said captain i'm not i'm not doing that and archer said well then i will remove you from the ship essentially i think one I of them I, th- I think one of them was a torture scene he wanted mm. he wanted flocks to like basically hurt this guy to get information and flocks was like nope and yeah. i think and i think the other one was um uh, the one where flocks comes across the people that his people have bigotries against. Ah, uh, yeah. And I think Archer's like, yeah, we'll get over it type of thing. I think so. Yeah. It's been a minute since I've seen all the episodes, he, but yeah. I think in that one, he just tells Archer like it would be a, a conflict of interest like for him to like treat the patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And Archer says, if he's on board you you're gonna treat him like you're taking my command i don't care about your right and it's got nothing to do with like your species it's it's uh he's a patient right. on my ship on my ship right yeah i like that episode that was a good episode too those episodes are always there where somebody's like i don't want to and he's like but you i don't i don't like this person yeah i don't like my my species, their ridges go this way, and on his species, they go this way. And I hate him. I hate him for that. <laughs> yep. I don't think I'm showing you that. I don't think I'm showing you the episode, um, because it's it's an iconic episode, but it's also very long and drawn out. Yeah. But uh, it's supposed to be a a racial black and white thing. Uh huh. So literally, no joke. To your point, you'll love this. <laughs> the aliens, whatever is there, there's two aliens. Yeah. And one is called whatever, and the other one's called whatever. And <laughs> this guy, this guy has this side of his face, half of his face is black, and this side uh-huh. of his face is, is like literally painted white. Okay. Like, so it's painted black, painted white. It's not like and different skin tones of human. The other species like, is the other way, right? And it's literally that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, well, no, he, he, you, you know, he's, they're all, they're angry at each other and they want to kill each other and all this stuff. And everybody's like, but it's just literally a reversal. And it's like, who cares type of thing? I don't care. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The one species, they call them black and whites, the cookies. Oh. And they also, what's the other word? Half moon. Half moons. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's been that's a, been a debate throughout human history for a long, long time. Like, do you eat the chocolate side first or do you eat the vanilla side first? Yeah. I recently just saw somebody eat right down the middle. Wow. That's smart. That way you don't <laughs> offend anybody. Yeah, that's right. Just eat it. Neutral. Stay neutral, baby. That's Well, somebody will get mad. Are you putting the chocolate on the left side of your mouth or the right side of your mouth? <laughs> 
There always be somebody. It, you got to cut it in half and Ooh. then fold it. Bam. You're getting bold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but is the black on top or is the black on top? <laughs> somebody will always be angry. They'll always find something. <laughs> You're right. So... Lon is, in the, is at the containment field council, bringing down the containment field. Una pleads with her to stop, but Elan is obsessed with flooding the ship with light. They struggle over the control of the council, Una pleading with Lon that she knew her, that she was her friend. Lan spits back that Una lied to her for years, that she was an augment, an abomination, just like what the children had called her because of her name. Mm-hmm. Una knocks Lalan unconscious with a punch, but the radiation levels in engineering have grown t- toxic to organic life, causing her Illyrian healing factor to kick in as the computer warns of the imminent core breach. He turns into Wolverine. Yeah. I like the use of augment, which because it harkens back to Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, she like says that. it several times. I enjoy it. It's the thing that I I think honestly why I like Strange New Worlds as much as I do is be it's literally because it's like they just are like huh eh, Star Trek Enterprise eh, Star Trek Enterprise I'm like yes yeah. more more <laughs> yeah I, yeah I know I appreciate because honestly I know we've talked about it it'll be sad for you it'll literally Strange New Worlds will end and then they'll never talk about the Enterprise ever again. <laughs> So, yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah, it's funny because like that's where I started. So I, I don't understand why that's like not like people don't like it as much. Yeah, I think it's a thing that if you had if you were like most people and you started with the original series or Next Generation and then you watched everything, when you would yeah. get to Enterprise, it would be like. Well, why are the Vulcans like this? This doesn't make any sense. And why do the yeah. Klingons like this? This doesn't make any sense. It's it's the one of those things. Is because yeah, but if it's like in the past, obviously, obviously it's it's like a like a storyline beat, you know. Yes. It's not like oh, why are they like this now? It's like no, it's hundred years ago. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. No, I I I totally understand. I and I have no problem. Like when I watched it back in the day, it was fine watching it with that. But I have just found that watching Star Trek this way really lends to itself. Yeah. You feel like you actually feel like humanity has gotten better and has gone deeper into space and has explored strange new worlds and done more things. Yeah. When you watch it the way it was released, like by release date and by calendar. It's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, you just end up being like, right when you're interested, basically, right when you're interested in how the Federation is developing and how they handle certain things that, that happened in Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. and stuff like that, you're like, right when you're really invested, they're like, okay, let's go back in time like 200 years. And you're like, oh, then, yeah. okay. You're like, all right. That's what a lot yep. of people's issues were, is they wanted to see more content going forward rather than go back. I can, I can understand that. Yeah, I get, that does make sense. But, you know, also at the same time, uh, the, what they I've, I've heard a lot in other podcasts and other interviews is like, 
the show, the franchise was starting to have like fatigue. Yeah. You know, they had literally been on the air since 1987 and now it was 2001 and Star Trek is still on television. Yeah. It's like it's a, a form of Star Trek had been on the air for 14 years. You can you can only do first contact so many times. Right. You know? It's kind of the same beat story story wise. And even yeah. super popular shows like Friends and Cheers and Frasier and like King of Queens, like they only go like nine, 10, 11 seasons. Yeah. And eventually they're like, okay, we got to do something. And it's like, well, these shows were now going on for an additional like six, seven years. Yeah. Different storylines, different characters, different stuff, but generally the same feel. Yep. No, I can, I can 100% see like how it would feel the same. But we're kind of in the renaissance, as they as they say right now. So we're kind of in a cool period where stuff keeps, keeps yeah better and better. Because that's kind of the thing too. It's cool about like this <clears throat> about strange new worlds and enterprises that um, like you can watch Deep Space Nine and it and you know like every week it's something. But I like to see like where all that stuff started from, like how. How did humans like get into space? How did they start Starfleet? How did they like get all that stuff going? Yeah. You know, like what did they have to overcome to like get into space? Right. Like you start Deep Space Nine and it's just like, yeah, space travel, you know, where everything's yeah. <laughs> established, everything's great. It's like, yeah, that's cool. That's a cool concept. But like, how? Like, how did we get here? How did they yeah. do it? Like, how did they get every, everybody to join? How did Earth get every other species to join their? federation you know what i mean i I like that's why no no, yeah me too on the surface the storm appears to have cleared and pike again tries to call the enterprise but is answered only with static he thinks it's safe to go outside again and remarks on how the creatures had gone to great lengths to save their lives if that was the case why didn't they do so for the colonists spock sees two possibilities either one they were not motivated to save the colonists due to some previous interaction. Or, two, they were the colonists. Spock had found references to odd behavior relating to the previously mentioned disease. The infected had a compulsion for light, and some were driven to insanity and driven into the storms themselves. Pike wonders if that wouldn't have killed the colonists. And Spock confirms it, though theorizes that the charged particles would have bonded with the colonists' electromagnetic presence, creating what they saw. As they speak, a second record cylinder pops out, as if on its own. It is, it is a thorough account of the colonists' effort to renounce their genetic engineering in order to join the Federation. It would seem, even in death, Spock concludes, they wanted us to be aware of who they really were. It's honestly kind of like it's kind of heart heartbreaking. Yeah. Because it's like it really it really shows Pike that like they want to be in the Federation so badly that they'll like literally do anything to make this happen. Yeah, it's um you know they're they're augmented, but but like they're willing to like destroy everything about like their culture and their like history 
just to be a part of some stupid like organization. Right, 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 right. So like how could you not feel bad about that? Like like you said, like, no, you can't be a part of our our cool kids club. And they basically <laughs> like destroyed their planet and like killed everybody in their population, like to try to join it. Yeah. How could you not feel responsible for that? Yeah, exactly. Yep. And just because of a stupid uh it's basically like, yeah, it's just another prejudice thing. It's just another yeah. stupid Something that happened almost 200 years ago. Yeah. Is holding- we did something stupid when we were manipulating our genes 100 years ago. So going forward, we don't we don't like that. We're too scared <laughs> of it. We're too scared yeah. of it. So we'll nah, forget it. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you right now, it is a thing that does not go away. It's a yeah. thing that they perpetually will always have issues with as time goes yeah. forward. I would be more worried about the Borg, to be honest with you. But I mean, they do they do get pretty worried about the Borg, but yeah. <laughs> okay, as they walk out to the rendezvous point, Spock notes how some Malarians were bioengineered to fight disease. Had they not tried to reverse their augmentation, they might not all have died. They, uh, they wanted to join the Federation so badly, their good faith jester got them killed, Pike agrees grimly. In sickbay, Una brings Mbenga back to unconsciousness and explains she had an antidote. Lan had tried to jump into the warp warp core and both were exposed to lethal doses of radiation. But Una's healing ability was able to save them both before she re-engaged the field. Chapel adds that Lan was not Illyrian, but her proximity to Una created chimeric antibodies in her system and chapel was able to synthesize them into a cure before they set don't thank me i know i'm good at my job chapel cheerfully adds and benga tells una that they all owed her their lives but una looks grim at for a moment there was something she had to take care of lan sits alone in the recreation room eating from a bowl of strawberries as una sits across from her Una remarks she packs one heck of a punch, which was not meant as a compliment. Lan asks what the penalty for striking a superior officer is, but Una can't seem to remember, asking if they were still friends. Lan admits that part of what she said was the sickness talking, but part of it was her own hatred of augments, given how she had been treated being a descendant of Khan, and understanding why augments were banned in the Federation as they had nearly destroyed Earth. Una acknowledges the damage Augments had done, but Illyrians were different, seeking to collaborate with nature, not dominate it. Instead of transforming planets, they adapted themselves instead, and Una sees nothing wrong with that. Laan counters by asking if Una really felt that. Why hide it, particularly from her? Una admits she's hidden it from a lot of people, but all she had ever wanted since first seeing the stars was to be in Starfleet. Lan knows, as Una had given her that dream, and also introduced her to strawberries as a comfort food. Again, it, it's it's just one of the. It's just stupid. It's one of those like, you know, you you lied to me. It's like okay, yeah, got it. But but again, like you said, she's mad about the fact that she's an augment because yeah. she was picked on in school. And not to mention the fact that augments 
we're human creation. Right. Ruin, you know. Right. And Valyrians are a completely different species. Right. And like they're fine. <laughs> so it's right. like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like I get being mad at the augments. They destroyed the planet. Like your right. stupid human scientists made augments wrong and they right. almost destroyed the planet. Valyrians are alien species. They're like Vulcans. They've been around for thousands and thousands of millennia and they're doing just fine. I think right. they got the whole like gene splicing under control. I think they're, I think they're good. I think they're completely different. But that one bully said, Oh yeah, your great grandfather <laughs> was a crazy person and she's like oh, oh my god yeah anyway yeah she's she's just you know she's having a hard time she's just having a yeah hard she's time. it's been rough for her honestly <laughs> these past two episodes have been, have been pretty rough yeah that's why she eats strawberries helps her right out it's funny it's funny like the first episode of strange new worlds i was like yeah she's kind of cool you know yeah, yeah, and then the second episode. Now this episode, I'm just kind of like over her character at this point. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just waiting for next episode for her to do something stupid again, and me be like, I'm like, no, that's definitely not going to happen. No, no, we get it, we get it. You, you, you're a, you're a, you're a depressed individual. Like you're, you know, no. you had it rough. We got it. They definitely don't use it through all of the season. <laughs> so is that why, like, in the first episode, I was like, yeah, so she's kind of cool. And you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she kind of. is very cool. <laughs> yeah. It's she's a thing definitely where not a fan hated person. It's a thing where <laughs> she's, I'll just put it to you this way. She's rough in the beginning. And then once they, they milk the trauma and like yeah. go through how tr- terrible she is and she has kind of like a redeeming thing then you're like ah and she's fine at that point it's okay. like she needs she needs to come out of her shell and accept the enterprise crew as family it's like that that's what they're building towards and i get i get that i get that and i'm not saying they should rush through that because no no, like, no i know what you, you mean can't. i totally know what you mean she's rough in the beginning i don't disagree with you at all she wasn't my favorite when I was watching it. Either was Ortegas. <laughs> but that's okay. She still isn't. I don't really like her. But that's all right. Una stands before Pike, returned from the surface, and confesses she is an Illyrian. By hiding her augmentations and enlisting in Starfleet, she has committed a Federation offense and announces she is resigning her commission and submitting herself for disciplinary action asking only that her sincere desire to be in Starfleet be taken into consideration. Pike rejects her resignation, saying he doesn't care where she's from and calling her the best first officer in the fleet. Pike attempts to stop her from going further, but Una warns him that she has broken a dozen regulations, lying to get into Starfleet, and if he shelters her, Starfleet would go after him as well. Pike replies that he would welcome that discussion, and tells her that he learned something on Hemeta 9. Illyrians were severely misunderstood, and Una's actions during the crisis only emphasized that point. Una says that she only did her job, but Pike replies that she defies every stereotype the Federation had about Illyrians. When he 
When she asks what Starfleet would do when they found out, Pike chuckles and tells her to let him worry about Starfleet. Before she goes, he tells her to look into fixing the glitch in the transporter's biofilters. So to your point, Pike basically is like, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> but I like that Pike is like that as a captain that, again, he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk to command. I don't I don't give a crap. It's my ship. Right. I'm not going right. to. Right. Like, what am I going to do? Like, accept your resignation and take you home and be like, well, after everything that like I've seen, like, I could care less what, what the Federation has to say about it. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. He's the type of captain where if he, she she's such a trusted member of his staff that if Federation said anything about it, that he would say, well, then you're going to look for a new captain then because I'm 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 gone. I'm not going to I'm not going to stand for that crap. Right. Right. right, right. That's a good captain, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 OK. Uno goes down to sick bay and confronts Mbenga, knowing that he didn't allow the medical transporters to be upgraded while the ship was in space dock. She suspects that was because Mbenga couldn't allow them to do so, and reveals that Hemmer's diagnostics showed that something was being kept in the pattern buffer. And whatever it was, he had to preserve it, even if it meant killing everyone on the ship. But Mbenga denies that that was his intention and says it was an accident. Una demands to know what he was keeping in there that could have been worth all of their lives. Not what, he quietly corrects her. Who? He explains he was keeping his daughter, Rukia, in the pattern buffer. She had been diagnosed with sinochemia one year earlier and was given 12 weeks to live. He ruefully notes how he was the chief medical officer aboard the Federation flagship. And one would think he could do something about it, but nothing he had tried worked. He explains there was no limit to how long a pattern could be kept in the buffer, only having to rematerialize them regularly. In the buffer, Rukia did not age, and the, and the disease did not progress. On a ship, that could travel light years in a matter of hours, and Benga is sure somewhere out there is a planet with the discovery he needed. Nonetheless, he realizes the light virus epidemic had been his fault, never thinking that could have happened, and promises it would not happen again. However, before he is returned to Starfleet, he asks that he be allowed a moment to say goodbye to his daughter. Una surprised him by offering to have a dedicated power source directed from the warp core to ensure the problem did not happen again. As she leaves, she tells him she looks forward to meeting Rukia one day. After she leaves, Mbenga activates the privacy screen in his office and brings Rukia out of the buffer and picks up a story he was reading her from where he left off. Rukia protests that he had read the story a hundred times, but the doctor jokes that perhaps the story's ending could change. So this this is the part where I really like what they did. They do a cool thing, yeah. which I can't tell you. I wish I could tell you, but it'll spoil a lot of things. They do a cool, cool. thing here, which I like. And then, the, but I feel like learning that Una is Illyrian and that she by, she got through Federation regulations and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm not like a, yeah. overshadowed 
by him having this thing in the in the in the pattern, the pattern buffer, mm-hmm. and also him having the thing in the pattern buffer is overshadowed by her being an Illyrian. And I just felt like yeah. I don't know. I just felt like it could have been it could have been better. It's kind of like two major character exactly. plots. Yeah. yeah. But the one thing I really, really liked in this scene, and it even kind of got me get like a catch in my throat, <clears throat> is when he says to her, listen, like, I know you're going to take me in, but before you take me back to Starfleet and I face, and I face my problems, like, please let me say goodbye to her. And then she goes, no. And his face, yeah. his face in that scene, I was like, oof. Because you see a mix of so many emotions on him. Like he's angry and he's yeah. he's horribly depressed and like he just doesn't know what to do. And that and it's only it only lasts like two beats, like two seconds, you know. But still, I just his acting in that scene was very, very good. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah. And, and the thing that is cool about that is that you can see that um it's Pike rubbing off on her too. Is yeah. because basically, like he forgave her, and now she can, you know, yeah, move that forward. It, it's one like, of those things too, where it's like if the doctor would have just talked to Pike, <laughs> yeah, said, you know, like, look, I'm trying to look for a cure for my daughter, but I need to keep her in the buffer and in. You know, if if we can do that, that'd be great. And Pike would right. have said, "Yeah, I, I'll give you same thing she did. Like, I'll right. give you like your own standalone like power source to to keep it running." Yeah, it could have all been avoided. You know, it could have just been. Yeah, I agree. But again, I I like that people on board have secrets. It's a very oh human... yeah, I love it. I love that they're they're layered characters and they're not just like mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just yeah. a guy on the ship and he likes to do medical things like it's nice that there's depth to these people yeah 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 all right so here's our fast our last little stretch in her quarters una dictates an entry into her log mentioning how people had things to hide yet were revealing themselves and benga had shown what he was hiding and una had admitted the truth about herself to Pike, who had defended her. Yet she can't help but wonder, if she had not helped save the crew, would he have felt the same? What if she had not been one of the good ones? When when will it be enough to just be an Illyrian? She wonders, before she asks the computer to delete the log entry. As the Enterprise departs, Hematet 9 and goes to warp and Benga continues to read from the story. If King Ridley would seek out the Mercury Stone and win it as his own, his victory over Queen Nev would be assured. It is said that in the right hands, the Mercury Stone has the power to cleanse the land of evil and bring prosperity to all. But if it were to fall into the wrong hands, the Mercury Stone's power would bring about a terrible, long-lasting dark age across the land. And that concludes our episode. Next episode is called The Mercury Stone. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, so there we go. That's... Yeah. 
brings so it all I think, together. I think too that it's interesting that um when he says to her to number one, like if if I knew I could use your DNA, I would beg you. I would beg you for it. But like he right. knows he can't synthesize it. And that kind of speaks to like even towards the end, like when you find out about his daughter. Yeah. Like he would a hundred percent use her yes. DNA to like help his daughter. Yeah. And it kind of ties that whole thing together. And I I like that. Yeah, it's 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 a thing where they do a good job of making it all connect and like making his secret and her secret like they they're forced to reveal them. Yeah, they yeah. do a good job with it. I just it's just the thing I've talked about five or six times now. It's just yeah. like I feel like it overshadows it. It's a lot for the episode, but but like you said, they do they do do a good job of bringing both of those storylines together and make them kind of work in the same episode, yeah. like the same yeah. thing that they're both dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty good. Yeah, I agree. the other thing that we haven't talked about is that like I love the intro. So oh, there's like oh, the yeah. cold the cold open like stinger right where it's the the delta comes up and it does like the music. Oh it's yeah, great. And then the episode yeah. starts, and then they cut to the credit, the intro credits. Yeah, and that whole like sequence of like the Enterprise like flying through space and yeah, the music it's so good. Like it's so, mm-hmm. it's yeah. so good. And the other thing I love, and I could it could get very annoying, is every time they enter the bridge, it does that like classic like whistle. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah I, I think it's called a boat swain or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's super good. It's it kind of shows you it kind of sets this like into that like Kirk era. Oh yes, yes. I I do. I still think they do a very good job of like blending this like modernly but keeping that yes. aspect like that's the aspect that it's going to is going to the Kirk era. I agree. So like the uniforms and the phasers are they're really cool. Like this episode I I was very much focused on like sleeves of like the okay. uniform because like the bands you know the little bands yeah. that go around they're very like they look like the old ones but they're modern and they're they're more sleek and they're like a better they're not just like a like a glossy yeah, yeah, yeah. like material they're like actual like plastic or whatatever yeah it yeah, just looks absolutely. cool like, i just like the look yeah absolutely their uniforms are pretty are pretty cool and decent you know like especially like going forward you know you know you're jumping back in time like 55 years yeah. but at the same time you know they try to keep a, a certain aesthetic going and you know you try to match what they have and really if they had the money and they had the time like they probably would make things similar so it's like a it's a nice blend of mm-hmm. of everything like you're saying modern but also being like yeah but we're gonna make sure that this, even if it, even if it doesn't make sense in a modern way, and they did it, this is how they did it back in the sixties. Like that's what we're gonna do. Yeah. It's like we're gonna do this. This is what stuff looks like. I I wonder. I wonder if they made if they made this show and they and they just kind of remade everything to look the same. Yeah, like they made like the stitched on deltas. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I wonder, you know, if the fans would love it or if they would. You would want it modernized a little bit. I think you know? at the end know. of the day. I think at the very end of the day, no matter what, any true fan would be ecstatic to see anybody in original uniforms. Like any, it doesn't matter what series, 
Yeah. Rather than seeing a modern take on it, I think at the end of the day, you'd rather when when it does happen and it does happen a few times when you see a character in a different uniform that's not modern it's just like literally they pulled it out of the the production closet of that series you're like nice that's pretty cool yeah yeah i can see that being pretty cool so i won't spoil i'm not gonna spoil nothing but you know it's on the horizon well i've seen i've seen pictures and stuff of of like Archer and everybody okay, okay, well. dressed dressed up like that. So I know yeah. they kind of do this like time into the into the shadow darkly or whatever the yeah those two episodes I haven't watched. I, I know they kind of deal with like time thing. Yeah. And I've been I've been kind of spoiled. I've seen like Trip uh whatever he's called. He's like his face is all oh melted. No. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a it's a cool thing, and I re- I really dig it, and it's been it's been good so far. Um, I will admit at this point, since now between our two episodes, episode episode one of season two has come out, and it's fine, but I definitely don't I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed episodes mm. from this season. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's it's. I don't I don't know. It's it's uh I think it honestly comes down to two things. And one was um the thing that you and I always complain about, which is you're taking modern issues mm. and ham fisting it into a series that has overcome those modern issues. Yeah. Like, you know, racism and sexism and equality has been met. Like it's over with. They're not sexist. They're not racist. They're not like, well, you know, you can't do that because of this thing. Nobody cares anymore in Star Trek. That's the point of Star Trek. Yeah. Is so doesn't matter if you're a woman. It. Doesn't matter if you're a black guy. It doesn't. No one cares. And and yeah. and in fact, not only does nobody care, they embrace it. They like it. Let's talk more about it. So when they do mm. that type of stuff, they're like, oh, well, you know, they're dealing with these modern issues of women not being treated fairly or how the political system is being driven apart by a singular individual or a group of people. They're like, well, that's how Star Trek is too. And you're like, no, it's not, (laughs) it's not. So that they did a lot. They did a little bit of that. And then the other thing was just filming just a lot of weird camera Mm. decisions that I think just made it feel weird more than cool. But I don't know when I go back to rewatch it with you. And after I've seen everything, like, I may feel differently, but just, you know, right off the heels of the first episode, I was like, eh. especially now watching this. Yeah, it's not like I have like a memory of the show like a year ago. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like I'm currently watching the first season. So. Well, that's kind of so far, that seems to be par par for the course for for Star Trek stuff from what I've seen so far is that like a couple seasons are like really good. And then there's kind of ones that are just kind of like. Yeah. You know, you kind of slog to get through, but yeah, it's it's okay. I mean, you still got I got a whole host of them to watch, so you know, it's like it'll be. Okay. Well, you saw you got to see Spock playing the harp, though. I mean, I mean, I it's true. I have no idea what the relevance of that. <laughs> I just know everyone's been talking about. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Okay, so now here we are. We're at the part where Caleb. Caleb. 
So, Caleb. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Who gets the Elizabeth Cutler Award for being most forgettable? Um, Lon. Yeah, okay. Again, she does nothing this episode. Then she complains at the end and then eats strawberries. That's it. Yeah. So I'm going to let you pick that one. I'm going to let you pick it. I'm not going to, this time, I'm not going <laughs> to alter it. So you pick one. No, that's what you pick. It's what you pick. So the one I thought, I the one I was thinking was Uhura. So she's in it. Oh, and, yeah. And then she comes out of the bed and she's like, what's wrong? And then she's not, she's, she's also not sick. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wow, that's really interesting. And then that's it. Well, yeah, and then <laughs> and then number one sits on the bench like, so what? So what are you doing today? <laughs> it's just yeah. kind of like, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, you're that's true because she I goes know. on the bridge. She goes on the bridge, and then she says, uh, she's talking to Pike, and then and Aurora goes, oh, I, I'm sorry, I lost the signal. There's no more signal. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. But we're going to keep Lon because two weeks now you've picked Lon as most forgettable. So we're going to let it be. Yeah. We're going to let it be. <laughs> okay. So, no, no, I picked, um, I you picked ended Kirk up picking, last week. Right. I, I know. But you Kirk. initially started with Lon. You were like, she's most forgettable because you didn't like what she did. Yeah. And then I, and then I convinced you yet again to pick, like, well, basically you know, influenced you to pick Kirk and you, you picked didn't, Kirk. You didn't. I, you, I mean, honestly, that's, that's why I, that's why I picked Kirk because I said, I said, I literally yeah. forgot even all he was, in, he the was in the episode. So obviously, <laughs> I mean, he's also real. forgettable in this episode. He's not even in it. He's not even in it. <laughs> yeah. I should have picked Kirk again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so who gets the Trip Tucker Award as being the MVP? Number one. Yeah. She's she's pretty great in this episode. Yeah. Una's, Una's the MVP of this episode, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I like Una. And it's cool that they explain to why she glows. The doctor yeah, said, I know, like, right? Her yeah. immune system literally, like, burns out the infection. I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's cool. So, who gets the Shran Award? What? Was the best action sequence of the show of the episode? Probably Pike and Spock when they're boarding the door and the window breaks mm. and all that stuff happens and then yeah, like when, when they're getting like surrounded uh, and stuff. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I, yeah. Even like when they initially had to like run away from the storm it was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not really anything super actiony happened. I mean, there was that fight between. Right, Uma and uh, Lon, but I yeah, about that. And because uh, <laughs> again, I she should have just had a, a face pistol on stun, and it would have been right. done. Right. Yeah, so I can't look past that. No, yeah, not I a lot of action. It's a it's it's a really great sequence, and it's 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 cool how they how they handle it and everything, and how it kind of looks like people like holding hands around them and stuff like that. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. that's cool. The, the design of those like wisp things are pretty pretty cool. Okay, so what gets the NX award is some sweet ship stuff. I'll go with the transporter. Okay. It was cool. I like seeing like when there's interference on the transporter and you can see the people kind of beam in and kind of beam out. Like you oh, can see okay. them kind of like oh, okay. form the shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when Hammer basically can beam an entire section of the, the core of the planet 
on board. Like it shows you like the power of the transporter. Yeah. And I like that. Is there is there one that you like more? Did you like seeing the mantle or did you like seeing the outlines of the people? Mm, I like seeing the mantle more, probably. Okay. I like it. I like it. So the thing I like, I didn't comment on about it last week. The thing that I like, and I know it really makes you hurt your head to do this, but <laughs> um, the thing I like is sometimes you'll be like this thing and I'll be like, oh, cool. <laughs> It's cool. I like it because it's like you don't give just like generic answers. Like mm-hmm. last week, I was like, what's some really cool ship thing that you liked? Oh, and I thought you were going to be like, I liked, you know, with the thing them shooting at each other or like, you know, whatever this thing, this thing. And then you were like, Pike's quarters are pretty cool. And I was like, <laughs> all right. Like, I it just I liked that, that you. Yeah. You know, even even in the cage, right? You were like, I really enjoy this thing. And then I was like, all right. And then you're like, it's the paper printer. That thing was cool. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. yeah. Well, you gotta remember too, I, I come I come to it from like the like builder and like scene kind of yeah. guy. Like I'm looking like at that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which so, is good. It's a good insight. And, and, yeah. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I like seeing how stuff functions, you know. Yeah. Because okay. anybody can say, oh, well, when the Enterprise is flying through the sky and shooting lasers, like, obviously that's cool. But like, <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. I like that you you have like an outside of the box appreciation for things. It's not just like normal, like, oh, yeah, when this guy shot a phaser, uh, the best action sequence was when they were punching each other in the engine room. You're like, no, it was this thing, which I like. Yeah, it's it's as a as a i know it's like sounds narcissistic but as like a fan of this <laughs> i enjoy like when i go back to listen to it or anything it's like you just you have different viewpoints than like a, an average star trek or rant or or just random viewer like you have like a yeah. different appreciation of things well that's good because i always feel like i uh i always forget about this segment and we just talk about it for an hour and then and then you ask me questions i'm like huh let's see what happened in this episode uh (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. was this the episode where (laughs) i liked uh i liked when it rained oh no i liked i liked when uh he shot the glass and it really was melted that was my favorite (laughs) (laughs) yep even better would probably be like, no, my my favorite part was when he was running on the gangway and everything was blowing up behind him and then they barely got him transported. And he was like, oh, God, you transported me? I thought these things were dangerous. And he's like, well, we had no other choice, Captain. And I'll be like, that's Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> I like when they're all on that planet and they go outside to get in the shuttle to leave and it's raining acid. And they oh, yeah. like shoot their way to the ship. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. That's pretty good. <laughs> and Lon was like, I don't like the ship because it's blue. And when I was a kid, everyone said, Oh, you're always wearing blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blue. <laughs> Your shirt is red. Okay. What gets the Porthos award? <laughs> cheesiest part of the What's episode. The What's the cheesiest part? The two guys in the quarter with Ahura when she wakes up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she turns the simulation off. 
yeah, yeah. That was pretty. That was pretty ridiculous. This <laughs> Why do you turn off the light? Turn it on. Yeah. We need uh, the light. <laughs> I agree. That was pretty. That was pretty funny. It was really funny. It kind of came out of nowhere, and it was yeah. like, oh man, these. That was fine. That was a little cheesy because it just everybody yeah. else was like they would just shine the light in their face or and those two guys were like <laughs> where's the light <laughs> yeah hey, wow these guys are sick <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get these guys to the sick bay immediately <laughs> can you imagine later when when they're everything's fine and they're back in there yeah and she's just like Hey guys, and they're like, "Hey, we're really sorry." And she's just like, hey. "Yeah, whatever." Like, <laughs> you're pretty weird. <laughs> so, you guys, uh, see any good light bulbs lately? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, here it is. What gets the Enterprise Award? What was the best thing in, in the episode? I'm gonna have to say, just like the overall storyline yeah. I think it's probably the best part of the show is um, like fighting off the disease like specifically like like the doctor stuff okay like people being sick and um, having to fight the find a cure like on the ship while like Pike and Spock are gone Oh, okay. So, like, kind of when they come to the realization that um, this thing is like spreading through the ship, and they're like, "Yeah, how do we con- how do we counteract this?" Yeah, I, I kind of like the whole like containment breach. Okay, I know what you mean. Type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean, that's kind of like the the major part of the episode. Like, that's kind of I don't know. Yeah, it starts. I can to, never, it hinges on that basically. I yeah. can never just pick one thing that's like the best part of the the episode. Oh, I know. It's it's tough, you know. Pike didn't give any speeches. He really wasn't in the episode a whole lot, actually. He wasn't. No, 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 not too much. He didn't even do a captain's log. No. What's up with that? What's the deal? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that concludes what did Caleb think? We know it. And uh, so what we'll ask now as our avid viewers We'll ask that you, not only did you do something earlier, if you were watching this whole way through, (laughs) but uh, we'll ask that you write in the comments what you thought of this episode. We'd like to hear your thoughts. So write them on down below. Yeah, give us a list of your, what does Caleb think? Yeah, let us know what your (laughs) favorite things were, what your cheesiest, what you thought was cheesy. Tell us. Next week, we will cover episode four of Strange New Worlds with the episode entitled Memento Mori. Mm. So uh, we're at the point now where I ask you to do things for us. So if you liked it, (laughs) like it. (laughs) If you disliked it, dislike it. If you want to see more of this content, make sure that you're subscribed. And if you don't want to miss us putting these things out, which I usually get them out on Sundays evening. Make sure to ring that bell for notifications. 
yeah subscribe and if you know any star trek fans in your life and they are watching stuff from the beginning or want to watch stuff from the beginning this is kind of like a cool thing to like uh i have a lot of podcasts too that like i listen to about shows yeah and like i'll go back and i'll re-watch the episode and then i'll listen to their their yeah, podcast after absolutely so yeah. i mean obviously like we're the only ones doing this we're the only ones talking right. about star trek so yeah so you're gonna you know why wouldn't you watch this one yeah you could watch an inferior star trek show or you can join our federation of the nerd holes and reach for the stars <laughs> Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you're on a podcast website or app listening to this, we appreciate you listening. Uh, rate us, review us on whatever platform you're listening on. We would appreciate it. And if you're here on YouTube where we mainly show stuff, 10 out of 10, uh, <laughs> we appreciate you watching. We'll catch you next week when we cover Memento Mori. Thanks for sticking around, folks. See ya. Hello, this is Ensign Isaac Clark. I'm taking a break from working on the warp coils so that I can read a few things to you guys. First of all, the Retrek Review is a Via Non Capta podcast. It's produced in association with the Plastic Underground Props. It's hosted by Will Wilbur and Caleb Stoddard. It's edited by Will Wilbur. Our intro song is by Kaylee Joy Rookledge. Our theme song is by Samo Studios. And our outro song is by Tommy Lee. Title card art created by Caleb Stoddard. The trophy art is created by Adrian Wilbur from Love by the Letters. Synopsis and written plot provided by MemoryAlpha.com. Star Trek is created by Gene Rottenberry. All official clips and pictures are owned by Paramount Pictures. You can follow us at The Plastic Underground Props and Via Non Copta on Instagram and YouTube. And stay frosty. <laughs>